0: OK, so if you don't mind introducing yourself and talking about the organization that you work with.
1: Sure, sure. You were uh, in communication with uh, our outreach coordinator, uh, who shared with me that you were looking to do an interview. Uh, my name is Maurice Carney. I am the, one of the co-founders of Friends of the Congo. And I also serve, currently serve as its executive director. Uh, we've been around for about two decades now. Uh, focusing on uh, the Congo in particular, but Africa uh, in in general. And the organization has two overarching aims. Uh, One is to raise global consciousness about what's uh, transpiring uh, in the Democratic Republic of the Congo. And the second is to provide support uh, to to local uh, institutions, particularly youth who are engaged in social justice undertaken to create a, a new Congo, uh, bring about a new Congo and uh, a new, new Africa.
0: Mm. Excellent. Well, if you don't mind, I'll I'll jump straight into the the sure. questions. Uh, so we're very interested in in your organization's perspective on what's been happening in the, in the Congo recently. So I mean, I, I think most people listening may be familiar with a brief outline of of history. They probably know. Um, about King Leopold, they probably know about mm-hmm. Patrice Lumumba, and and some I imagine may even know about Mobutu and the re- and the more recent uh, reign of Joseph Kabila, the two Congo wars. But do you want to provide I guess a more recent breakdown of of what's been happening in the Congo that people in the in the West should know about um, when thinking about this historical context of colonialism, neo colonialism, uh, and resistance to those two.
1: All right, uh, that's a that's an excellent question. Uh, of course, uh, uh, just in, in dealing with current events, uh, elections were held in twenty eighteen and Congo, elected a uh, a new leader. Uh, his name is uh, Felix Tshisekedi, who's the son of a longtime uh, opposition figure mm-hmm. in the country, called oh, uh, Etienne Tshisekedi. Uh, like many, uh, like numerous Congolese uh, or elections before, is, Tremendous dispute about the veracity or the validity of the of the results. Uh, however, that really plays uh, a secondary role to the the structural uh, conditions that uh, the Congo uh, is founded in. Uh, you you talked about uh, sharing uh, with your listeners around. Uh, the Congo itself and uh, there are a few key things to to understand uh, about the country which will uh, inform uh, the listener the viewer uh, about uh, contemporary Congo Uh, if we look at the the modern formation of the Congo it's a country that was formed by and created by Europeans Mm -hmm. uh, in terms like much of uh, the rest of the African nations, Mm -hmm. Uh, and Congo was uh, created as a space for the extraction of wealth uh, to benefit uh, the West and the development of of the West. Uh, And it's been that way for quite some time, even if you were to look at uh, Congo before its modern creation, before the 1884-1885 Berlin Conference, uh, for hundreds of years, uh, Congo, the Congo region in particular, served as a source of extraction for the benefit of the West. And we're talking of of course about uh, uh, the so-called slave trade. Mm. Uh, If you follow the uh, Emory University uh, database in UNESCO, they say four out of ten Africans that were trafficked to the west came out of the Congo region which is larger than uh, the modern-day Congo state uh, so that structural formation uh, where uh, a nation or a state rather was built uh, for the extraction of resources at first human bodies and then later on, Many people are familiar with the King Leopold era talking about uh, rubber and ivory uh, through uh, the colonial period. Uh, Belgium uh, uh, was a colonial master of the Congo in 1908 to 1960. We're talking about copper, we're uh, talking about cobalt and most famously uranium uh, that uh, was used uh, by the United States in this Manhattan Project that ultimately wound up uh, dropping atomic weapons on uh, Japan uh, right up to the present, uh, where we're talking about COTAN and mm-hmm. uh, tin and on uh, copper and uh, and cobalt again, but this time uh, for the use usage in uh, for the electric, primarily for the electric car industry. So mm-hmm. that uh, structure has not fundamentally changed. Uh, you talked about uh, Lumumba and Mobutu and Kabila irrespective of the leaders that are in uh, the Congo or uh, head up the country, it's still serving as a source of extraction uh, for uh, the benefit uh, of the rest of the, the world. And that's, that's the, the, one of the biggest challenges uh, that Congolese um, face today is that they are situated Uh, on soil that has a tremendous amount of wealth. Um, Mm. Some people estimate $24 trillion worth of natural resources. So, Uh, however, they're not the primary beneficiaries. Congo ranks near the bottom every time the United Nations uh, Humanitarian Index uh, is published. They're right at the very bottom. Mm. 70% of the population living less than $2 or so a day. So it's a country that continues to be be plundered. Mm. Uh, It's a country Uh, that continues to be dependent. Uh, It's a country that houses uh, a tremendous amount, uh, number of impoverished people Mm and live in extreme poverty. poverty. Uh, Some 15 to 20 million or so uh, suffer from uh, food uh, insecurity and uh, some even say maybe on the verge of starvation. So uh, those are the major structural uh, factors that, that, are, that are at play. And then of course you can superpose superimpose on that to these political leaders who really not put in place to, to govern, but rather to, to reign. And uh, since Lumumba, you can hardly find I, I, there hasn't been one leader who has risen to power uh, without the uh, the support or the stamp of the United States. Mm-hmm. So Congo still striving uh, to control and determine its own affairs. Uh, and that's a tremendous challenge that, that uh, this younger generation of Congolese face uh, in a country that where the median age is about 17 years old or so.
0: Right. Right. And, and, and as you said, uh, it, it all is contingent on the United States continuing support for neocolonial regimes. I, I thought when you mentioned the uranium, immediately I thought of the... Support for the the Katanga secession from the Congo during the crisis, and and the way the Cold War played a huge role in uh, in various factions, you know, supported by the U.S. or supported by the Soviet side, fighting over control uh, of resources. So, mm-hmm. how does that? How does that legacy of and even then in the early two thousands or the late nineteen nineties with the Aftermath of the Rwandan genocide, which itself is a product of, of French French, uh, you know, French control or French mm-hmm. desire for control, intervention. How does the kind of divide and conquer uh, fighting between these these uh, imperialist factions, or or even in, then in the case of the Cold War, the fight between the communist world versus the U.S. imperialist and capitalist world that wants control over these resources? How has the Congo been victimized by these great power uh, squabbles throughout history
1: Wow, uh much like the rest of africa and the in the global south right uh, where the the notion uh, the notion of sovereignty uh, of a nation is fleeting at best mm. uh, in uh, you know as the u s uh, you know not, uh, as the u s uh, being a uh, 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 great uh, imperial power uh, any nation anywhere on the planet uh, in this so-called unipolar world uh, attempting to assert sovereignty uh, will have to to deal with the, the United States it's almost like a, a gangster <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> <It's> international gangsterism
0: <laughs> right exactly
1: yeah. uh, so Congo is not has not escaped that uh, at all as probably best uh represented by the Congolese people electing Patrice Lumumba as their mm-hmm. prime minister in, in 1960 and uh, his wanting to uh, have Congolese control the, uh, the resource of the Congo, not only for the benefit of Congo, but for the benefit of um, with Africa as a whole and uh, the partnerships that uh, uh, he was uh, establishing you know, with uh, figures like Kwame Nkrumah mm-hmm. of uh, Ghana who actually wrote about it in a book called the Challenge of the Congo yeah. uh, or Sekuture of of uh, you know Guinea at the, at the time um, so the uh, whether we're talking about in the Cold War period or even today uh, with the uh, uh, during the uh, what's the Trump administration
0: yeah.
1: and policy that they issued uh, the Prosper Africa policy,
0: Mm.
1: where they saw Africa as a space for great power competition. Mm. Uh, In this uh, modern iteration, uh, combating uh, a reduced Soviet Union into into Russia Mm -hmm. and also combating a a burgeoning China.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: So what that does is it... It places the, the African as fodder in this competition um, for, for resources, competition for, for control and uh, forces um, Africans to, to choose side or to line up on one side or, or mm-hmm. the other. Uh, in fact, even with this recent uh, Russian Ukrainian crisis, mm-hmm. uh, you find many of the African leaders, almost all of them are neo-colonial leaders, uh, complaining that they're being browbeat by the United States to to condemn uh, Russia at the United Nations, Uh, that uh, they are being forced uh, um, to choose uh, even as uh, their own countries are being plundered by the West or their own populations been been victims of war, whether it's the a, a drone droning that the United States uh, does in Somalia, and uh, or the regime change that the U.S. and NATO uh, uh, did in uh, in Libya, uh, that has uh, resulted in uh, tremendous suffering and instability in the whole um, Sahel region uh, of uh, of Africa, uh, the uh, African even the neo-colonial leaders uh, take pause uh, with uh, Africa being a space uh, for great power competition, whether it's a competition for resources or a competition for diplomatic competitions for votes at the, at the United Nations. So mm-hmm. what that does is it strikes at the, the core of the challenge that uh, Congo and Africa you know, face uh, whether it's uh, dealing with uh, Russia, China, the United States or any other uh, power. And that is for Africans to unite themselves in a way that uh, they can be masters of, uh, of their own destiny, that they can control and determine their own affairs, that they could be the primary beneficiaries of their, the tremendous wealth that exists on the African continent. Uh, and that's a, it's a huge uh, challenge uh, that Uh, uh, Africa and Africans face, Uh, and it's going to take a a Herculean effort on the part of young Africans to be clear about, uh, be be realistic uh, about the real politic, let's say, (laughs) of global power and how it works, and and build uh, relations with uh, working class people throughout the globe, uh, other working class, other oppressed people in different parts of the world, Uh, And certainly uh, with uh, left leaning radical folks uh, or people of conscience and goodwill in the empire in the United States so that those people in the US can put pressure on the United States government and its foreign policy uh, that has uh, devastated uh, the African continent and Congo in particular with the US supporting the invasion of the Congo in 1996 and 1998 by its proxies, Rwanda and Uganda. Right. Uh, which triggered uh, what the United Nations says is the deadliest conflict in the world since World War II. And not only did the U.S. do that, but when the perpetrators are, you know, primarily president of Rwanda, Paul Kagame, or Yari Museveni of Uganda, uh, brought to book on an in, international level, the U.S. runs political and diplomatic interference to provide cover for them. Uh, so you have a uh, lack of accountability, uh, you have lack of justice, and uh, rampant impunity uh, pervading in the Congo and Central Africa region, which uh, only condemns uh, the people uh, in the region uh, who've suffered tremendously already uh, to perpetual conflict, uh, perpetual instability and uh, abject poverty. Uh, So uh, the, the forces uh, a raid against the Congolese people and Africans uh, are enormous. Uh, they're not insurmountable, uh, but it's important that we recognize that uh, so that we can clearly understand uh, the the challenges that uh, Congo faces and Africa faces, and they're not challenges of of charity in terms of you know calling for more aid or right. people supporting you know the building of wells or right. wow. any of that. But it's it's, mm-hmm. it's a continent that's being plundered. And uh, the best way to, uh, to change the material conditions of the people is to organize, uh, to stop the plunder, organize on the continent, outside the continent to stop the plunder, to stop the, the theft uh, and create the space for, for Africans to actually uh, leverage the resources that they have, both the, the natural and human resources uh, to create uh, the kind of society that uh, provides uh, good working conditions, uh, health, education, clean water, electricity—you uh, name all the basics that we we benefit from in the in the West.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, ab- absolutely, and and the global alliance you talked about of the the working class of the Congo allying with radical forces in the in the Imperial Corps—that struck me as as particularly interesting. I, I'm curious about how. Friends of the Congo as an organization too uses uh, the American influence and bring these issues to light probably for the first time for a lot of Americans mm-hmm. and the connections that it makes with, you know, what are what are some of the groups in the Congo that are, uh, that represent the more radical forces of, of supporting the workers or being anti-imperialist that Friends of the Congo works with and and could be potentially part of the, the movement that will allow some some change to occur, because it seems like uh, in in reading the history of the Congo, beyond someone like Patrice Lumumba, I think everybody knows about Mm -hmm. him, but people kind of fixate on him perhaps a little too much and say, Mm -hmm. that was the 60s, there was a hero, and it's easy to look at a hero and then think, well, nothing like that will ever happen again. That was the golden age, Uh, but surely there are Mm -hmm. always... They're always activists. They're always people looking for change. So, who can, in the contemporary sphere, uh, it, from your perspective, is leading that?
1: Sure, and I huge working class, advisedly. Uh, way we, we talk among ourselves, and it's it's more like oppressed class because uh, right when yeah. the notion of work in the Congo is, right is uh, is not the same notion of work that we have here in the United States. For example. Absolutely, yeah, you know. Uh, so, uh, but uh, definitely the, that that oppressed class that, uh, that Kwame uh, Kwame Nkrumah uh, talked about. Mm. Uh, they, you know, uh, Lumumba has served as an inspiration in the face of a dearth of uh, uh, revolutionary leadership, not only in Congo but uh, in Africa as a, as a mm. whole. Uh, you know, just the same way that uh, Thomas Sankara has served as an mm. uh, influence uh, for. Uh, Burkina Bay Youth, who rose up in uh, twenty fourteen, I believe, to overthrow or run out of town uh, Blaise Kampare, who was uh, mm-hmm. you know the chief neocolonial figure in West Africa. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, so you you have uh, uh, figures like Lumumba serving uh, as inspiration in terms of their their teachings. And the principles, so, uh, there's one uh, group we work with, you know, uh, Congo is much like the, the rest of Africa. It's predominantly rural, right? Mm-hmm. 60, 70% uh, live in, don't, do not live in the cities and live in rural Congo. And uh, we are having an exchange uh, with uh, one uh, organizational leader, uh, it's called Gova mm-hmm. and uh, it's in rural Congo and you know, talking about uh, what they garnered from Lumumba. And one of the things that they they, they shared was the love for country and the love for continent, uh, the willingness to sacrifice life and limb in order to create a, a new Congo and a new Africa. Uh, so a, even if the 60s were the quote unquote golden age, uh, the principles um, by which The independence leaders uh, pursued uh, change uh, on the African continent. uh, Still uh, relevant, very much relevant uh, to this day. So even though we've lost one Lumumba uh, in body, uh, his spirit lives in Congolese youth um, throughout the the country. Even though accessing uh, Lumumba is difficult, uh, it's not someone. Who's taught in the, in the education system? The education system right. is still very much a colonial one, right. uh, where Congolese and Africans know more about Europe and European history and European figures than they do about African history and African figures. Mm. Uh, but uh, these uh, youth uh, seek out, uh, uh, you know, uh, knowledge not only about Lumumba but about Nkrumah, you know, Toure. Uh, Samo Michelle, you just, you just name it, uh, major figures, anti-colonial, anti-imperialist figures who, uh, were not only political figures, but they were intellect, intellectuals, uh, uh who thought and read about, uh, uh, change and how change occurs in the world. And actually, and I also wrote about it, you know, and Krumah yeah. himself wrote some 14 or 15 books, uh, yeah. you know, you look at, uh, uh, figures like Amokal Korbal, a, a tremendous theoretician that you put up against any theoretician in history. Uh, so these young people are, are seeking uh, these figures out and they're connecting with each other um, in pan-African form, uh, throughout uh, throughout the African continent. Uh, they're connecting with uh, folks uh, in the global South, particularly in Latin America, who mm. have had... Uh, uh, you know, substantial uh, success against uh, imperialism. You know, the, this is the supposed to be the U.S.'s backyard, so they face the brunt of U.S. imperialism. Right. And the way people have organized in uh, in Venezuela, yeah. uh, people have organized in uh, in Colombia, the uh, way people have organized in Ecuador. Uh, you know, uh, throughout. Uh, Throughout uh, Latin America, uh, it's uh, very inspirational for for young Congolese. Uh, you have a group in Kinshasa called Catherine Bois, the Fourth Way, yeah. who is you know who've participated in many of these Pan African conferences. Uh, uh, the gentleman I mentioned to you from from Gova, he has traveled to you know to uh, to Latin America uh, to uh, engage uh, with uh, young people there. Uh, uh, they've connected with uh, landless, you know, workers movement in, in, in Brazil. Uh, you know, they see the battles that was waged by Evo Morales is, is laudable, uh, as, laudable, particularly as it relates to uh, controlling the, you know, the resources of Bolivia, um, you know, Bolivia and Congo and common when it comes to the question of uh, resources that um, right. serve, um, you know, the battery industry. Mm. Uh, So they have examples to draw from and uh, they're seeking counseling. They've sought counseling and guidance for these examples. They've gone to visit some of these places uh, uh, in in Latin America and uh, they're in constant communication uh, with particularly with the Afro-descendant communities in Colombia and in in Brazil. And especially especially, um, Colombia is just, uh, uh, they're truly inspired by the Organizational capacity of Afro Colombians who are probably the most organized Africans uh, on the planet <laughs> without any exaggeration. You know, they live on resource uh, rich land in, uh, in the Pacific coast and uh, come under con- constant um, threat of, uh, of death and uh, torture. And the way they've organized themselves to resist in Colombia serves as an inspiration to. Um, to Congolese youth. Uh, mm-hmm. So uh, whether in, in Kinshasa with Catherine Bois or in rural areas with, uh, with Gova or at the epicenter of the, the, the conflict with the organization called Yole Africa, uh, mm-hmm. we see uh, young people drawing on uh, Lumumba's teachings, uh, Lumumba's ideas and applying it to their, their current s- situation. A uh, love of country, love of continent, sacrifice for country, sacrifice for continent, and creating a, a free and liberated Congo where Congolese uh, and Africans are uh, dignified actors uh, in the journey for reshaping their their countries and their continent. Mm. No, and and that
0: that that's very inspiring too to hear and to hear that his legacy continues despite his uh, assassination at the hands of. Of the U.S. and and Belgian um, and and broader imperialist powers, but but on that note, I'm I'm curious about your perspective, and and you mentioned an alliance of the oppressed classes with uh, radical forces within the imperial core, something that I think we focus on as a group in in our researches, and when we have a such a, a you know focused view on the the global south, is thinking about how a lot of demands of Of change within the imperial core, uh, especially on the left side of politics, occasionally can uh, seem to come at the expense of people within the within the periphery or within the global south. Mm. And the the two examples you mentioned of Bolivia and the Congo are, I think, two perfect examples of a situation where the demand of the left within the imperial core of, Mm. for example, a shift to renewable resources or or Mm. green energy. Uh, but just generally, the demands of a of a more Western oriented socialism, for example, neglect the global supply chain and the the continued extraction of resources from the Congos in the form of of coltan, um, or in Bolivia with lithium. So, in your in your analysis and in focusing on the Congo, what do you make of this kind of program that is promoting a a progressive development? But seemingly only for one part of the world or only one or the first world in particular uh, and seems to be coming at the expense of continued extraction and doesn't deal with the continued problem of extraction from the, the global south
1: Wow that, that is an excellent question and we've been uh, wrestling with that question you know mm-hmm. for uh, for some time uh, in the, the resultant uh, Impact of uh, on the face of its seemingly progressive policies, right? The New Green Deal, mm. uh, and I, I think uh, several things. Uh, one, uh, it's just vital that the leaders of the quote-unquote green energy uh, revolution be educated uh, mm. about the the supply chain, as you. You know, as you say, uh, I, mean, I think that's, uh, that's, that's, that's vital, um, but educated in a way that is not superficial in the sense that they're saying, uh, oh, okay, we now need to have, make sure the supply chains uh, are clean or conflict-free, mm. so to speak, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, right, which is like, do what that. is that? you. Can, you yeah. You can what do that, that right? Yeah. right. You can do that so, so to speak, right? Mm. Uh, but you still leave in place the violence of environmental degradation, the violence mm. of poverty uh, because what it's about is not so much a you know a clean supply chain, but it's resource sovereignty, right? Mm. That those people who own those resources, uh, the primary beneficiaries of it, to the extent that they want to, want to uh, exploit those resources, because they certainly can have the choice of leaving them in the ground too. Right? Uh, there's this whole question of uh, uh, the destruction that uh, the ext- of the extractive process, right? Uh, and uh, the really the key resource uh, for a country like the Congo is agriculture. Uh, not, not even so much uh, the uh, you know the the cobalt or the copper or the, the cotan. so education is uh, education is uh, is key uh, I think that's uh, that's that's vital uh, and that's one of the things that we've been trying to do as Friends of the Congo is to educate this uh, community about the, the impact of uh, uh, the Western uh, lifestyle on the Uh, Congolese people, Uh, but even more importantly, and you can, I guess, lump or or put together the the green energy um, cohorts or sector, along with the climate change sector, right? In that uh, they have this anodyne uh, approach uh, to what is a clear and present danger, and really the clear and present danger is capitalism, right? Uh, So the extent to which if they confront capitalism, then they'll confront those uh, resultant, uh, what they may see as residual effects of the source of those natural resources, because it's a capitalist um, system that uh, produces uh, the child laborers in the Congo, the environmental degradation, uh, the dependency, uh, the plunder of the resources, So along with the education, uh, it should also be a a political education and a willingness to confront capitalism. And when we see the climate change advocates, the climate justice advocates and the green energy revolution advocates centering capitalism, centering imperialism, I think then we can start to to have uh, some kind of hope that they're, they're going getting to the heart of the, the matter. And, and I think that's what uh, people from the Global South, uh, at least one of the demands, the type of demands that they would put on people in the core, as you, as you call them, I guess channeling uh, or referencing Emmanuel Wallerstein, uh, is that they confront capitalism, uh, that they confront militarism, right? Uh, they are to confront. Uh, racism or confront those three evils that uh dr king famously talked about in his uh breaking the silence speech at uh, riverside in 1967 uh, so that that would be the demand or the request or the ask coming from people in the global south coming from the oppressed masses of the of the congo uh that people in the core do confront uh, uh these uh, systemic uh, these destructive systemic uh, uh, practice ideas and practices that have had uh, deleterious effect and impact on the overwhelming majority of the uh, the population of the globe. Right,
0: exactly, and I think that that's the critique we've heard from having conversations with uh, representative representatives of different parties within the global south and different activists mm-hmm. within the global south and. They've been telling us there's a, a lack of focus of first world or, or Western socialist or, or leftist demands on imperialism, how U.S. foreign policy operates, how capitalism operates, and these extractive uh, relationships that uh, simply instituting democratic socialism as a program would not inherently challenge. And that's the big problem for a lot of uh, of people in the global south is that if if your program is not going all the way and dealing with the deep connections and deep levels of extraction, then it's not a, a full-fledged program. But I think that no, leads absolutely. me to, right, and and that I think leads me to, I guess, in, in wrapping up, uh, my final mm-hmm. questions would be, um, in, in learning more and in, in conveying this message primarily to an American audience, what do you think the future looks like for the Congo in terms of political uh, developments and in terms of change, um, what should be the the focus for people in, in terms of if they're shaping activism, as we were just talking about, shaping this message? But how can we relate that both specifically to what needs to happen right now in the Congo? So, what are the demands that need to need to change that can bring in some some level of progression or development within the Congo, and and how can uh, people in the West center those demands, what can be done domestically to challenge U.S. imperialism or French imperialism mm-hmm. as well, broadly. Ah, right. right, right,
1: yeah. Yeah, I, there, there's, there's several things. Uh, I, I think uh, the narrative is uh, important, um, particularly mm-hmm. about uh, Congo, it's often seen as the, you know, uh, the heart of darkness.
0: Yeah, and
1: yeah. Uh, therefore, what unfolds there is like atavistic, you know it's like these people yeah. are doomed you know to to perpetual war and perpetual conflict. Right. Uh, so I think the the extent to which we can strike a blow against that uh, that narrative uh, is important, and yeah. that's something that uh, every you know uh, radical or non-radical every person can play a role in yeah. uh, articulating. Uh, a different uh, kind of narrative, a narrative that's more aligned with the historical uh, facts about how Congo and Africa is, um, you know, uh, become the way, uh, how it is the way it is today. You know, I, I'm, you're a student at Cornell, I'm sure you all have read how Europe underdeveloped uh, Africa. i am in, in the process of it. reading it right now. Yeah, actually. Yeah, it's By fantastic. Yeah. yeah, it's fantastic. Yeah. So, so that that's uh, that's 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 important uh, uh, the way it uh, ensued. Um Two, uh, <laughs> you know, it's fascinating uh, that we've we've observed over the last four years or so uh, the extent or the degree to which uh, U.S. citizens have been incensed at the very notion of uh, Russia uh, tampering with U.S. elections right so we would implore uh, u.s citizens to carry that same fire mm-hmm. and that same sense of outrage when it comes to the united states mm-hmm. intervening in elections in different parts mm-hmm. of the world right where the u.s uh puts its thumb on the scale and right. determine who becomes the leader and who doesn't so with that same passion that same vigor what the U.S. citizens have argued for, you know, right. whether it's real or perceived, <laughs> right? That, Which was very uh, much,
0: very much the case in, in 2018, I think, with the U.S. involvement yeah. in the election.
1: Yeah. Right. Exactly. Exactly. You know, there hasn't been a leader in the Congo since Lumumba where the U.S. hasn't given its uh, its support or imprint or you know been a difference maker. So. That's the second thing that we call on U.S. citizens to, to make those same demands uh, on their government and their government's policies in uh, other countries uh, around, the, uh, around the world, uh, which is usually done under the guise of, uh, the U.S. usually does it under the guise of promotion of democracy, you know, using its, its soft power, so to speak. Uh, confront uh, the United States in this foreign policy and this militarization of the African continent with the establishment of Africa the Africa command we see the. US uh, imprint on African continent has accelerated some 2,000 percent or grown some 2,000 percent over uh, a decade uh, or so uh, so, just as people advocate for the demilitarization of black communities in the United States, uh, they should advocate for demilitarization of African countries. You know, the Absolutely. cessation of the drone, the the drone flights, and the establishment of drone bases. The U.S. is establishing a hundred million dollar drone base in Niger. Why? Right. You know, uh, uh, for what purpose? Uh, we see as the US militarization of the continent has um, increased, so has the instability, so has terrorism. So even exactly. on, a, on an objective level, right? If you don't have any persuasions, ideological persuasions, you look at it objectively like, okay, there's greater military US military presence and there's greater terrorism. Something is wrong with this picture, especially if the US is saying we're going there to train Africans to fight terrorism. Uh, so that, that would be the, the, the third. Uh, a fourth uh, would be for those who want to get more involved would be to support left progressive forces uh, on the African continent, particularly uh, the youth. Uh, now we know there's a tremendous amount of goodwill and support uh, for Africa coming from you know average people uh, in the in the west. Uh, but uh, we would argue that Uh, supporting groups that are seeking to control and determine their own affairs, that have initiatives of their own going, uh, would be the best uh, investment that uh, that they can make. Uh, You know, the uh, basically reshaping charity from from moving from charity support to justice support, support the justice seekers, Uh, uh, support the truth tellers, Uh, support uh, those who, uh, those youth formations in particular who are looking to bring about change for the masses of Congolese and, and Africans. Uh, so those would be good points of, uh, of, uh, of departure. And, and what Friends of the Congo does, uh, we hold a space for people who want to do those things that I, I just shared with you. For people, uh, we don't expect people to know all the groups on the ground who are doing great work and who are justice seekers, and uh, so we, we can identify uh, those uh, forces. Uh, we can share with uh, the, the U.S. Citizen, US citizens uh, the information and the resources that they need uh, about what's happening in the Congo and about U.S. foreign policy towards the Congo or U.S. foreign policy towards Africa. Uh, so we uh, we're an open source space for uh, accessing that kind of uh, information, for accessing resources, for connecting with progressive or left forces uh, in the Congo and on the African continent. So, uh, so take advantage of our presence um, here in the U.S. in order to fulfill on those uh, three or four uh, prescriptions uh, that, uh, that I just shared with you. Well, thank you so much. I mean, that
0: was a very comprehensive list of, of what can be done. And uh, unfortunately I do have to go, but I, I okay. wish I could keep, keep talking because uh, <laughs> it was incredible uh, hearing all of the, the ways that you know, this, this program can be shaped uh, to be more anti-imperialist to really help uh, the people of the Congo and the global South. So uh, yeah, thank you so yeah. much. I'm, I'm yeah. gonna stay in touch for sure. And, and I'll send you the interview when it's published.
1: Okay, fantastic. Thank you for reaching out right. to us and, and good luck of course. With the organizing effort on campus. Okay.
0: Thanks so much. Take care.
1: All right now. All right.